On this episode of Life at the Ballpark, you'll hear stories from a man whose 14-year big league career included being a part of a play that's rarer than an inside-the-park home run, rarer than an unassisted triple play. He was on base for the Mets in the 15th inning when Robin Ventura hit his walk-off grand slam single. I'm on first base leadoff, and, and Robin hits a rocket. I thought it was just a gapper, a gapper in the right center field. So I'm like, tag second base, and this game's over. Um, so I tag second, and I turn around, and, and I'm waiting for him, and he's kind of waving me, doing something. And it, it's such a quick moment. It's two or three seconds. Um, and I just grabbed him. Welcome to Life at the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers and coaches, writers and broadcasters about their lives around baseball, from the sand lots to the big league ballparks. This episode is coming to you from Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium in Jupiter, Florida, spring training home for the St. Louis Cardinals and the Miami Marlins. Hi, I'm John Frost, and my guest today is Todd Pratt, who spent 14 years in the big leagues with the Phillies, Mets, Braves, and Cubs. His teams reached the playoffs three years, and twice he went on to the World Series, including the Subway Series between the Yankees and the Mets in 2000. This is Todd's third year of managing in the Marlins system, and he's currently the manager of the Jupiter Hammerheads. Todd, thanks for joining me on Life at the Ballpark. Hey, thanks a lot, John. Tell me, tell me about those days, Todd, and, and how does that stack up from the standpoint of your career highlights? Well, I being called up in uh, 92 with the Phillies, uh, being a Rule 5 draft, and then uh, it's really my rookie year. And then going to the 93 season, uh, it, these guys were just uh, – just hardworking and and hard fighting uh, players. Uh, Darren Dalton, Lenny Dykstra, John Krug, Dave Hollins. I can name you know a bunch of them. But uh, you know we we started '93 uh, ball club in '92. I got there halfway through the year. Um, but '93 we started 35 and 15 with Jim Fergosi leading the helm and uh 20 games over 500 at 50 played uh really put us in a, a good run uh, obviously leading the the east division and uh just running through the confidence was unbelievable the 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 everyday attitude uh tough you know there was some big guys in that lineup and a lot of people don't realize that pitching staff uh i think danny jackson was the smallest pitcher we had and he, he was a tree trunk so <laughs> intimidating on both sides of the field pitching and uh, and defense and hitting and that team uh you know we, we obviously lose it there at the end uh off joe carr's famous home run uh the walk-off home run yeah. to end game six it was just a great time for me and uh, great memories you know the 2000 team you know we're shifting up seven years later uh you know bobby valentine leading the bunch there and mike piazza robin ventura todd zeal i mean just another bunch of all-stars um and me being a little bit more of a veteran um it's just this unbelievable feeling and uh playing in new york yeah uh, you just you know the two cities philadelphia and new york and northeast and both in the east division just just the 
excitement and the energy at the stadiums and those fans every day was just a great experience. Well, in the Subway Series, right? That was such a big deal for the city. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, no travel. And uh, they used to shut down the highways, and, and we'd get police escorts uh, to drive to Yankee Stadium, and obviously the Yankees did the same thing to Shea. Uh, 1999 was a big year for you. A big year for the New York Mets. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we we had a great game, one-game playoff with Al Leiter uh, shutting down Cincinnati and then going to Arizona, that, which I, I believe they had the most wins in baseball that year. What a great team they had. Mm-hmm. And uh, we pulled off a, a, a win there, and uh, Mike Piazza was injured uh, the second game there in Arizona, and I, it was up to me and to do the catching, not necessarily hit uh, like Piazza because he obviously Hall of Famer. Uh, and, and, you know, we won game three, and uh, game four is his history. As long as – oh, that's hit well to center field. Finley goes back. Back, back. It's over. It's over. Around second base and, and started running toward third and, and just looked up. Shea Stadium was just so big and it was shaking. And I think that's when it really hit me uh, emotionally. It, it was rounding second and seeing those fans and just doing it for them. And then obviously when you round round third and you see all your teammates and your Hall of Famers there waiting for you to celebrate with you, it was uh, it was very overwhelming. It's a great moment. Great moment in history. Great moment for you. Great ho- moment in Mets history. Oh, yeah, well, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the Mets have been good to me and uh, actually put a plaque out there at, at City Field on the sidewalk. So um, unless someone steals the plaque, I guess they'll be there, you know, <laughs> when I'm gone. Um, but there's been, you know, getting called up for the first time or, or getting back to baseball after sitting out and uh, – in 96 and there you know the highlights of just uh teammates coming into the clubhouse and and, and just seeing the faces and, and the camaraderie um i could go on and on with those highlights i i i, I think more uh, when i think about my career it was more team highlights and than singling me out but i've been lucky and and been very timely on a few of those uh walk-off home runs there was a time in in, in philadelphia where I think I was the last player that could actually play in the game. Um, and Harry Callis, we knew his great voice. Uh, but I, I, I hit a home run, uh, I think, in the 14th, 15th inning there, kind of the same repeat dead center field against Boston in a big game that Pedro had a great game, and we were able to tie it up. And uh, the only reason I got a chance there, I was the last guy that could play. And... Uh, it was nice. Um, if we talk about maybe my biggest highlight, most people think it's the 99 home run for the Mets, but actually starting game one in the World Series catching, uh, Andy Pettit was starting for the Yankees, so Bobby Valentine entrusted me with the team and DH Mike Piazza. So hearing your name there at Yankee Stadium uh, for the 2000 World Series, that was probably my highlight of the career.
So I was doing some research on you, and there was a game I went to at City Field one year that began with an inside-the-park home run, and it ended with an unassisted triple play. Two of the rarest plays in baseball to begin and end a game. Wow. But you were on the field for a play that is even rarer. Describe what happened with the Robin Ventura walk-off grand slam single. Well, that was that was in that was in '99 uh, in the championship series uh, against the Braves. I want to say it was Game Five. I could be wrong. It was. Um, well, first of all, I wasn't going to let him highlight me in '99. Uh, that's a little joke between me and Robin. But you know, the whole situation there is uh, we're down by one. Obviously, it's the ninth inning. It, it's a dreary night at Shea, uh, mist, rain, excitement. Um, but Bobby V called me on to pinch hit, and I was very surprised against a young, hard-throwing right-hander with the bases loaded. And I drew the walk to tie the game, so my heart's pounding. Um, so things that go around when you're, when you're on the bases, I mean, it's not just hitting and, and fielding or pitching. It's base running as well. So you, you start checking boxes. Check yourself is what we call, okay, what do I do on this play? What do I do if the ball's hit here? Freeze on a line drive or, or make sure I hit the base uh, if he gets a base hit. Well, Robin, we used to call him Helium Boy because his home runs were very high and discarried. He didn't really hit line drive home runs. And, and Shea's a big field. Long story short, uh, I'm on first base leadoff, and, and Robin hits a rocket. I thought it was just a gapper, a gapper in the right center field. So I'm like, tag second base, and this game's over. Um, so I tag second, and I turn around, and, and I'm waiting for him, and he's kind of waving me, doing something. And it, it's such a quick moment. It's two or three seconds. Um, and I just grabbed him. 2-1 delivery. Robin Ventura! The Mets win! 4-3! There will be a game six! If you watch video on that, I don't think he would have got to third. It should have been a grand slam double because there was guys right behind him, not 10 feet behind him. They are probably going to run him down. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always be known for that highlight or low light, if you want to say. But uh, what a great team that was. And uh, just the camaraderie and... and I speak about an infield actually in that 99 team you know Rob Ventura Ray Ordonez Edgardo Alfonso and John Olerud I, I, I want to believe that they all won gold gloves that year so that's a, just another uh, memory of my career is being able to play with that infield one of the things that I noticed when watching the video of that play is you know it wouldn't have done any good because the umpires have left the field <laughs> they weren't hanging around no they were wet and probably tired and Get out of the craziness of Shea fans. I'll be back with more of the conversation with Todd Pratt next on Life at the Ballpark. You're listening to this podcast because you have an interest in baseball. If you own a business, what do you think people who call you have an interest in? Yeah, your business. So you need a message on hold. Now, tell your callers about your products and services, locations and hours, special offers and more with a message on hold now. We've been providing telephone on-hold messages since 1992, and we can do one for you. 
Get your custom message on hold now at messageonholdnow.com. Messageonholdnow.com. And now back to my conversation with Todd Pratt on Life at the Ballpark. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. There's a new episode each week. Todd, I want to talk to you a little bit about managing. Um, you've been managing quite a while now. You've been working with these kids. I've, I've seen you with these kids. You're as much a mentor for them as a manager, right? That, that's really important to you. I'm most definitely. Uh, you know, at the end of my playing career, you know, everybody said, hey, you got to stay in the game. And, you know, I believe that ESPN even did a story. And I, I, I was very... Uh, humbled by them saying that your peers said you would be one a good manager one day uh, but playing 22 years it was time for me to take a break from baseball for my family um all my kids were really young uh, so i just stayed home and really didn't do much uh, for a few months and then uh one of my buddies asked me if i wanted to uh, coach a collegiate summer team just to kind of bridge that retirement um i said sure why not it was only for two months during the summer it was collegiate level players and I, I really had fun so i did that for a couple couple seasons and uh really started promoting the team and and was able to get major league baseball behind this this league so it was kind of comparable to the cape cod but down in the south in atlanta in the sunbelt sunbelt league and uh, so I did that. For, you know, I continued to do that over the summers. And then uh, a, uh, a small school uh, near where I live gave me a call and asked me if I wanted to start a baseball program and lead, lead a, a junior college, uh, NCAA or NJCA uh, team. I said, yeah, sure, why not? You know, to go back to the college kids, because I'm getting them at 18, as I've had here, some of them, uh, just the mentoring and giving back to the game, you know, with all my experiences. Um, and now I'm in my third years with the Marlins. The last two seasons I was with Greensboro, and uh, I just love it. I love coming to work. Um, you know, our games are at 6.30 here, and I'm here at 10 o'clock in the morning. I think people say you know tank get a life you know you don't have to be here so early but i just the daily planning and the excitement of seeing these these guys come in here into the clubhouse and uh tell them about some of my past memories and and what helped me because i you know playing 22 years i've done everything that these guys have struggled i've had highlights and very low lights so um I treat them as my sons, so I, you know, I figure I have 25, 25 sons here, and that's what makes the most, uh, most of it. I know you love mentoring. Well, who, who was the mentor for you as you were come, coming through baseball, manager or otherwise? Uh, you know, I, just, I, I was very blessed with some great managers. You know, Jim Fergosi, Larry Boa, you know, Bobby Cox, Bobby Valentine, you know, even Jim Riggleman, the little – I wish I would have played better for Jim Riggleman in Chicago uh, the half a season I spent there. And you just learn from each. Charlie Manuel, I mean, we'd cut up all the time when I was a veteran there. Um, so I just try to take uh, pieces from each of them. You know, uh, Bobby Cox treated treated the clubhouse with respect, didn't really have to go in there at all. You know, Charlie Manuel was just a 
good country country boy that just loved hitting, you know, and, and was very personal with the players and cut up with them. You know, Bobby V was the was like the analytical guy before we even started talking about it. You know, he would he would I say some things to me and I'm like, wow, you know, he's he's very far of the game. You know, Larry Boa, the fiery, you know, wear it on your sleeve. Um, loved him. I loved that type of uh, of manager. And Jim Fergosi, who, you know, just led a team of veterans that he just let them play. So, you know, there's little things from each of them that I kind of pass on to these and kind of molded myself as a manager. You had something happen to you this season I want you to share with us. And take us a little behind the scenes. One of your pitchers for the Jupiter Hammerheads, Edward Cabrera, set a, a tied a team record. And your pitching staff tied a team record for strikeouts. Uh, Cabrera got 13 strikeouts, and your team got 18. Tell me about being in the dugout when something like that's happening, both from a standpoint of observing it, looking at your pitcher, looking at your prospect, but also how do you manage that? I mean, at some point you're going to have to go out and take him out of the game, right? Tell me your thought process. Well, it, uh, some fans don't know, but it's it's really easy because, you know, Reed Cornelius, our pitching coach, will come in, and this is how it is for every team, except for maybe the major leagues, we're going to go with a hot hand. I almost have a computer uh, sheet that just says, all right, Edward's going to have six ups. We call him ups. It just means he's going to go six innings and 85 pitches. That's, you know, there's a little bit of five, you know, minus five, plus five in, in that count. Um because if we're really developing, when we don't want to hurt these young men, um, so that makes it easy for me. The hardest part is when someone's throwing a no hitter, you know, like uh, Will Stewart a couple weeks ago, you know, and and he's running out of pitches, and I'm like, wow, am I going to get beat down by the media today? Uh, but you know, like Edward last night and Holloway, uh, a couple starts uh, ago is. You know the first thing that they got their electric stuff. I mean, the breaking balls throwing for strikes, the fastballs overpowering. Uh, it just their their arsenal is in control. So you know it's going to be a good night. Um, baseball's a crazy game; it could always change. But once you just see the first, second inning, you're just going, "Wow, there's no chance for that other side today." So getting back to Edward, you know he we would have loved him to finish the seventh, but. He only had 13 pitches uh, in the sixth to complete, and he just couldn't reach it. And, uh, you know, you could try to – you know, there's another rule that you fans might know. is like if he's six pitches away from that total count or five, but we can't let him go out. He needs six pitches for the hitter. So if he's an 85 count, if he reaches 80, he just doesn't have enough pitchers. Even if he maybe throws that next pitch and gets him out, we can't take that chance. Um Edward was just electric last night, and then obviously Alex Mateo comes in and, and just shuts the door down on a very good ball club over there at Bradenton. So what do you say to him when you go out to the mound to pull him? They, they, he, he, knows, he knows it's coming, right? Yeah, he knows it's coming. They're, they're, you know, Obviously there's some disappointment in these young men when they see the manager come out because they know their night's over. Um, but they know. They they know how many pitches they're supposed to have that night. And, and obviously now it's not like the old days where there was nothing on the scoreboard. They see how many pitches they got, you know, mile per hour. Sometimes I don't like them looking at that. But um, <laughs> they know, and they're professional, and they know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. One last question, and then I'll let you go. You're a baseball lifer. You've been in the sport a long, long time. How did Todd Pratt fall in love with baseball? 
I guess my mother, uh, you know, my parents split up at a young age and we moved to San Diego, California, actually Chula Vista, but not too many folks know where that is. And she just took me out in the back, I can remember, and started playing catch with me and, uh, you know, throwing batting practice to me. She had no background in the game or athletics, but she just knew, uh, you know, as a young boy that she had to get me going and, you know, uh, and growing up in San Diego, the weather was perfect every every day. So, you know, back in those days, you could take your bike, go to the park, and be all you know the whole day there, and come back for dinner. Uh, we can't do that as much now, just the way the world is. Um, but I love football too, and I played all the sports, basketball. So I was very active as a young kid, and I think that's what helped me really become a better athlete, playing multiple sports, uh, and really helped me get drafted out of high school. Todd Pratt, manager of the Jupiter Hammerheads, thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark. Hey, thanks a lot, John. Listen each week for a new episode. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. 